Uh, it's just a joy to be here and to be able to share with you today. I've been looking forward to this time, and I believe that the topic uh, that we will be looking at together will be worth the time that we spend together. But before we begin, I'd like to uh, open with prayer. Father in heaven, thank you that we can have this time together. The hour is urgent, the need is great, the time is now. And so I pray that you would be with me, be with the hearers uh, as we explore this most important uh, topic that involves life, health, and uh, vitality in this world and the world to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we're here to talk about living free, finding freedom from habits that hurt. And, you know, I will tell you that I've been doing this work for many, many years now. Um, I have the privilege of running obesity, diabetes programs, addiction, depression programs, lifestyle programs, and I have yet to meet that person that says, you know, I, I just think I'm gonna, I want to fail everything on my list today. No one gets out of bed in the morning and says, I just want to flat out fail. And this really drives me. I'm going to speak to you today from my heart as well as from my head. We're talking about addictions. We're talking about habit formation. You know, it's one thing to achieve a goal, and it's another thing to uh, progress in that goal and to maintain it over time. And so we're going to be looking this week in this series of meetings at Habits That Last, Living Free. And by the way, if you go to our website, lifestylematters.com, not only do we have materials and resources free, uh, videos, PowerPoints, English and Spanish on 26 wellness topics that are free and downloadable, videos that you can watch. We also have resources that are deeply discounted, including this series that you can use in your home, your neighborhood, your church, your community, or your office. So my work is to provide materials and tools for you. So as we begin the program today, I would like to say that uh, addiction is an incredibly uh, prevalent problem in our society today at many, at many levels, and yet we are designed by God to form habits. Habits are actually our friends when they're good ones. In fact, Albert Hubbard said that habits are the great economizer of, of uh, energy. So when we learn something new and it becomes automatic, it becomes a routine, that's a good thing because it pushes that information, that route, down to what is called a subcortical level, and then it frees up headspace for learning new things, meeting new challenges, and more creative ways to live. But in an addiction, uh, in an addiction, when we are completely just drilled down on that one thing, there's only one thing that has our attention. It has captured us, and so uh, it becomes a heavy chain. Uh, Abraham Lincoln said this. He said that certain habits of men are like luxurious vines. They destroy the trees that they decorate. So as we look back, trying to turn this back. Habits are routines that help us to repeat safe and effective behaviors and build consistency and security into our lives. We are really made to be creatures of habit and, and uh, routine. But addictions, addictions are like these wicked viruses that we've been dealing with uh, lately in our, 
worldwide, really. So addictions are like a virus. They just take over your life. They actually take you where you don't want to go. They keep you there longer than you want to stay, and the price uh, is a lot costlier than we ever anticipated. Now let's talk about for a moment <clears throat> what this series is going to be about. Today we're going to take a look at the big picture of addiction because if, if we could not escape and rebound and recover and renew and restore from addictions, why have this meeting? And so this is what drives me, this is my passion, is seeing people recover from the deepest depths of sorrow, pain, and brokenness. And so I see it happen every day. God has engineered you for renewal, restoration, and recovery. So the roots of addiction, they are deep and they are tangled. We can't be simplistic in our understanding of this. And they evolve over time. So what might start as a curiosity or even a crutch uh, very soon becomes a conditioned response and then a compulsion, then a heavy chain that we can't break free. But the question that we're addressing today is can the power of an addiction be broken? How is it that we are engineered to move forward and stay forward even when we have been broken, either through environmental factors? You know, you did not ask to be born where you were, or you didn't ask to have those people do those things to you that had authority over you when you were young. You didn't ask for the genetic deck uh, that you were dealt. And we make choices that are very troublesome and get us into a lot of trouble. The, the Bible talks about being ignorantly alienated from the life of God. So the addicted brain is fighting hard, but we need to learn how to fight smart. And that's what this whole week is going to be about. Today we're taking a, a fly over the forest, we're taking a look at the big principles that are involved in addiction, and we're going to be hearing a story of an incredible recovery from the depths of sorrow and brokenness. So the question is, can the power of an addiction be broken? Is it possible to get free and live free? In this series, we're going to discover that every human being is designed to recover at lost ground. God wants to give back to you what sin has broken and taken away. Uh, the Bible talks about the responsibility of being a parent. It talks about the Ten Commandments and how the sins of the fathers are visited to the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. That's just an incredible statement. And, and that is not God put, putting a curse on ignorant people who are already out of the way, who are already uh, exposed to error and problems and sin in the vicissitudes of this wayward world. That's not what that's talking about. But it is a warning that just what the Bible says is that one sinner can destroy much good. And we certainly see that in our world today. You know, it wouldn't be sin if it didn't hurt innocent people. But the, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9, it says that Christ came to show mercy to a thousand generations. So he came to break that cycle of sin. So addictions are strong, but the power and the weapons to overcome them are even stronger. The addicted brain is not doing that thing to feel good in a, in a full-blown addiction. They're now doing that thing to keep from feeling bad, and that's a big uh, difference. So addictions are about broken connections in the brain, with each other, with life principles, and most importantly, with God. 
And so healing takes place at many levels. It's a healing of our character, our conduct, and the connections that God designed us to enjoy over time. So when we think of classic addiction, we think of substances or process addictions. So most, uh, uh, when we talk about addictions, we think about things like alcohol, nicotine, or drugs. Uh, But according to Howard Schaefer and many others from the Division of Addictions at Harvard University, drug use is not a necessary and sufficient cause of addiction. There are people who are who are nodding their heads, yes, I understand that. In fact, it may be that food is one of the most basic addictions. Uh, uh, Unhealthy food may be the substance in a substance addiction that we call overeating. It is improper to consider drugs as the necessary precondition for addiction. So what would be some examples of some non- substance addictions. Well, uh, if we look at the definition, it's going to help us in that regard. It includes persistent compulsive behavior that is harmful or destructive, characterized by an inability to stop. Romans chapter 7, Paul describes this so well. He says, the things that I want to do, I don't do. The things that I don't want to do, that's what I do. Romans 7, Paul is describing the human condition before the renewing power of Jesus Christ and how we all share this inclination to drift in the wrong direction or plunge. Take your pick. So some examples are food addiction. I work a lot with obesity and uh, chronic disease, and people understand that they are really addicted to these various foods, they understand it's hurting them, but the power to stop, the ability to plan a changed life, it, it's, it takes a strategy. So Christ has the power. He has the promises. He wants to connect with us, but he also has a plan. So some examples are food addiction, pornography, gambling, shopping, And this is uh, Nora Volko. She's well known in the field of addiction medicine, and she is speaking from the uh, Institute of Drug Abuse. She says, once a person has experienced addiction, changes have taken place in the brain that involve multiple circuits. Uh, If you think you have an addiction, it's very important to work with your health care provider because in at least 75 to 80 percent of cases of of serious addiction, there are what are called comorbid or coexisting conditions that need to be dealt with and addressed, especially if you are experiencing suicidal thoughts, if you are on a substance uh, and you are looking at some serious withdrawal, if you're on multiple medications. Uh, this is something that needs to be addressed with a healthcare professional. What I'm presenting this week is a lifestyle program, a comprehensive mind, body, spirit lifestyle program. And fortunately, God has designed the human brain, even in adulthood, with a powerful capacity to reshape itself, learn, and grow new connections. This is good news indeed. And so I I really smile when uh, these introductions are given regarding what I'm going to do and how I'm going to spend time with you and the education that I have. By the way, my master's degree is in public administration and human nutrition, um, not public health. 
but uh, I really smile because I really do not believe that that's why I do what I do. I'm thankful for the training, I'm thankful for study, but I believe that my life experience probably has more to do with the calling that God has placed upon me to share with you than anything else. I came from a very violent home. I actually was raised in the wine industry. My family was in the wine business. I was raised with a different worldview than I now uh, embrace. The worldview that the Bible teaches, I want to, to just share with everyone I meet because the worldview of God, a God of justice, a God of equity, a God of mercy, he's called the God of hope and the God of comfort. This God I did not know, this God I was not taught. And so our environment and our worldview drive behavior. So there are millions of people in this world that believe in fate or they believe in an, a place of eternal torment, which actually comes from uh, the Greek realm, uh, not the Bible, not the scriptures. And so it's very easy to, to cr create a picture of a God that is non-existent in the scripture and a fierce and tormenting God at that. That's the worldview of God that I was taught. They were good people who were not uh, schooled in what the truth really is of God's word. And then coming from a very violent home, I actually started running away from home when I was five. Um, I had nowhere to go but across the street into a cow pasture. I packed my pajamas in a paper bag and I took off. Of course, I had to come back home, uh, back into this very violent, unstable situation. And my father left home when I was young. By the time I was 11, uh, I was left with the violent, uh, mentally ill parent, and so by that time, I really had no feeling of safety. I had no worldview of God. I did not know where to turn. I did not know who to tell or what to tell. It was all I knew. So by the time I was 11, I was uh, using drugs, running away, and developed bulimia. And I had a very, very serious case of bulimia, which is an eating disorder, for 20 years, from age 11 to age 31. Uh, the, the positive part of this is that I would hide in libraries when I would run away, and so my grades uh, stayed high. So that was a good thing. When I was 17, I ran away for good with some very terrible people. I was involved in very terrible lifestyle up until that time, but keeping my grades up. How, I don't know. But uh, I ran away to Canada for a year, and I came home when I found out that my mother was dying of cancer. I went to a, uh, I, I went through a medical assisting program because I knew that I had to take care of myself, and it's a really funny thing when you are partying with people who have no hope and who only are just escaping through drugs or through whatever it is that they're doing, when you are actually in trouble, um, they tend to fall by the wayside. 
because they do not have the resources themselves. And one thing that I have found in doing this work for many years now is that many people who suffer from these kinds of problems are actually very intelligent people. They may have very fragile personalities. They have no recipe for solving problems. They, they are very perfectionistic often, very hard on themselves, hard on others. And I was one of those people that just had no recipe for facing down trouble, and so I only knew to run. Uh, I was driving my mother to a, an appointment, to a chemotherapy appointment. We lived in Riverside, and we drove past a complex of buildings, and I noticed the buildings because of the landscaping, and uh, the landscaping was quite beautiful. And I mentioned it to a friend of mine. I said, there's this complex of buildings. Her name was Wendy. She was a medical assisting student. I said, there's this complex of buildings, and it's, uh, it's quite beautiful, the landscaping. It's, they must make venting systems. It's called Seventh-day Adventist. Uh, and they must be open seven days a week. By then, I was a very hardened atheist. I was a feminist. Um, I was a very noisy, angry woman. Uh, but inside, I couldn't control myself. So anyway, she looked at me and she said, no, 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 no. She said, that is actually a university. It's a college. It's called Seventh-day Adventist. That's their name. And I remember saying to her, I can remember it like it's yesterday. I said, well, anybody that landscapes like that can't be all bad. I think I'll go there. And uh, that was my only reason. I had no other reason. And you have to remember, I was about 25 pounds thinner than I am right now from the eating disorder. I was partying, I was angry, and I was an atheist. And she looked at me and she said, you know, I, I don't think they're too fond of atheists there. Like, I, I don't think they'd know what to do with you. So if you want to get in, tell them the body's a temple. All right, fine. I had no idea what that meant, and I didn't care. I just wanted to be on the landscaping crew, and I wanted to go to college. I wanted to educate myself. So I, in those days, you had to be interviewed by the uh, president of the university, and I was. His name was Dr. Osmondson. I went into his office for my interview. I saw my files sitting there, and I said, you know, Dr. Osmondson, I don't know too much about you people but I really like the idea that the body's a temple. He just lit up. He put his arm around me. He said, I wish we had more young people like you on this campus. And I, I, remember, I remember thinking, these people, if the one at the top is this naive, I wonder what the rest of them are like. It was incredible. I mean, I was in like Flint. And, uh, and so I... I I got into school. I met my husband there. He was backslidden, so he liked me. Uh, but God had a plan. God had a plan. And my husband, Dane, is deceased now, but out of our 32-year marriage, 28 of those years have been in full-time ministry. So I'm really, really thankful today that God knows and he sees. I want to share something with you that I carry in my Bible. It says, by sin... We have been severed from the life of God. Our souls are palsied, wiped out. We're dried up like raisins. There are many who realize their helplessness, who long for that spiritual life which will bring them into harmony with God and with others. But they're vainly striving 
to obtain it, just like Paul was when he said, oh, wretched man, who will deliver me from the body of this death? Let these desponding, struggling ones look up. The Savior is bending over the purchase of his blood, saying with inexpressible tenderness and pity, will you be made whole? He bids you arise in health and peace. Do not wait to feel that you are made whole. Believe his word and it will be fulfilled. Put your will on the side of Christ, will to serve him, and in acting upon his word, you will receive strength. Whatever may be the evil practice, the master passion through which long indulgence binds both soul and body, Christ is able and longs to deliver. He will impart life to the soul that is dead in trespasses. He will set free the captive that is set that is held by weakness and misfortune and the chains of sin. So whether it's genetics, environment, or choice, whether it's by choice, chance, or circumstance, you were made to make it. Well, I began my school career, and I was on a vendetta to make things right. You know, if it, if it, if it was just, if we were in a just world, suffering would be retribution. But we don't, we don't live in a world where amazing things happen to good people and horrible things happen to bad people. Sometimes it pans out that way, but many times it doesn't. And God has put in our hearts to want things to be right. God has put that in you, and he has put it in me. Just try putting two different sizes of a piece of pie in front of two four-year-olds and see what happens. And it'll be bedlam. Because we are created to want things right, and I wanted things to be right, and I know that you do too. But one thing that I have learned is that when things are wrong, and even when it's an amazing good cause that you are fighting, if you use the devil's tools to fight that battle, rage, anger, violence, bitterness, unforgiveness, force, then without even realizing it, you've joined his ranks. We're not going to win this battle using the devil's tools. It can't be done. But I didn't know that then, and so I went into social work. I became a child abuse investigator. Then I had a $5,000 fellowship to law school. I was going to be a prosecuting attorney. In the meantime, I'll put everybody in jail. That'll fix it. In the meantime, I worked for a finance company, skipped traced on bad checks, repossessed cars. Then I went into public administration, was in zoning, searching for equity, but I couldn't control myself. So you see, God's work is an inside job. It's an inside job, and it begins person by person by person by person. That was a lesson that was hard for me to learn. Dane and I went to a lay pastor's house. He held a meeting, and he said that um, Jesus wants to make the great exchange, that he will give you all of his righteousness but you've got to give up, you've got to give it up. You've got to surrender. You've got to give it all to him. And instantly I understood, coming from an Italian background, I understood contracts. And I thought, this is a contract that I want to, I want to be a part of. Wow, I never understood this. I've always seen myself as a victim. I never saw myself as a sinner. Here's what happens. People who have been through these kinds of experiences, and I think we're all infected with this virus, we see ourselves as being very sensitive, when in fact, we're just touchy and hard-hearted. 
And so the process of coming to Christ and the process of growth is switching that to where we become very tender-hearted. We actually can get our minds off of ourselves and we become pretty thick-skinned so we can take more uh, and do more for the Lord Jesus Christ and for others. I didn't understand that at that time. Uh, and, um, but I, I, I understood contracts. So my prayer to God was very strange because I didn't know him very well. But at that time, I was, I was in very serious trouble. I was in, in health, mental health, the whole thing with this bulimia that was seizing my life. And I said, Lord, I never understood this. I've never seen myself as a sinner, just a victim. But now I understand that this is all about control. And I'm giving you control. And I'm going to make... I'm going to make a contract with you. Can you imagine the audacity? Audacity, but I did. I said, I'm going to give you everything I have because I want everything you have. But there's only one string attached, just one. I want to spend the rest of my life paying the devil back for what he did. That was my prayer. I didn't know him enough to love him, but I knew who was the big one in the room who was going to take care of this problem. You know what? He hired me, and that's why I'm talking to you today. And my prayer, my prayer for you is that whatever your weakness is, God will weaponize it. He has promised that his strength is made perfect in weakness. And the weaker and more feeble you know yourself to be, the stronger will be his strength in you. Now that's a promise that you can take to the bank. There is no difficulty within or without that cannot be surmounted in his strength. There's no nature so rebellious that Christ cannot subdue it, no temper so stormy that he cannot quell it. If the heart is surrendered to his keeping, he who commits his soul to Jesus need not despond. No matter where you are, you may be in a mess right now, you don't know how you got there, you don't know how to get out. But God does. He's got a plan and he has the power be the outlook ever so discouraging, you can have full assurance that Jesus has a plan. That's good news today, isn't it, friends? And so we need to know how not only to initiate this process, but how to, how to uh, move forward. And I love looking at the mechanics of our brains and how God has engineered his fingerprints are all over our biology. So attention, Dr. John Rady, uh, actually, this is William James uh, quoted in his book. Attention is a mental state that allows us moment by moment to choose and sculpt how our ever-changing minds will work. Those choices are left embossed on our material selves. The more we encourage the formation of certain connections, the more fixed those neural uh, circuits in the brain for that activity actually become. This is why we can learn in the first place and unlearn too. If you don't exercise brain circuits, the connections will not be adaptive and will slowly weaken and be lost. When I gave my heart to God that evening and I prayed that prayer, the Lord broke the power of the enemy over me and um, does that mean that I absolutely had an amazing uh, personality then and had everything exactly right and never made another mistake? <laughs> no, that's not even true now. But I signed up for school. I made up my mind that I was just going to continue to say yes to God, the one who has the power. And when you give your heart to God, 
you are enrolling in a school where instructions and reproof are a way of life. He's gonna put you in circumstances that may call forth all the evil of your nature because you didn't know it was there. But you have said that you're gonna say yes to God and he's gonna replace your confusion with confidence. He's gonna replace your weakness with strength. He's gonna replace your failure with victory. He's gonna replace your gloom with joy. It's a process that takes place over time. It's not just like that. I actually carry a seed packet in my Bible. Uh, and gifts are given, but fruit is grown. And I love landscaping and gardening. And I've actually stood in a hailstorm with an umbrella over my broccoli starters uh, to protect them, taking a beating on my back to protect those little plants because they take time to grow. You have to pay attention to them, nurture them, weed them. And so the gifts that God gives us. The Bible says in John 1:16, the Bible says he has given us of his fullness. When we give ourselves to him, he gives, a, he gives himself to us fully, but we receive it in the form of seed, and seed has to be grown. Now, if you buy last year's packet of seed, it's more than 50% off. It might be 75% off. Why would that be? Well, the reason is because it's 75% dead. If you leave the seed in the packet, it dies. And so part of the Christian life, once we give ourselves to God, is to understand the process of growth. And perseverance is one of the greatest gifts that God can give. He wants to exchange your wishbone for backbone. I was a runaway. And I'm so thankful now that he's developing me in me the mental metal to tunnel through trouble because there's a saying that says as the mind thinks the mouth speaks and the man moves too often in the health work we are very involved in the externals and there's a good place for that people come critically ill they need clinical intervention but real change takes place from within and we're going to talk about habit change this week now it's very important to understand that just in the same way that these habits have held us, we can learn habits that are good, that are just as automatic as the ones that have been destructive. And the less you have to think about it, grab a table leg and wrestle in prayer and just do the right thing, the more automatic those behaviors come, that, that gives you so much headspace for for ministry and for creativity and for joy and for novelty of the right kind. In him is fullness of joy. He has engineered you. He has promised, I have seen his ways. I will heal him. And I will also lead him and restore comforts to him. So these are some basic freedom keys we're going to be covering this week. First of all, surrender. Number two, creation living. Number three, situational awareness. The Bible says be vigilant, be sober, because your adversary, the devil, is going about like a roaring lion, lion seeking whom he may devour. The Bible says that we do not wrestle merely against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and rulers of the darkness of this world. But Jesus has told us the weapons to fight this are not fleshly, but mighty, even to the pulling down of strongholds. 
bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. About 60% of what we think is just automatic. And he wants to rearrange and reorder our thinking through his word. And what we think, we're going to speak. What we speak, we're going to do. So knowledge is, is half the battle. It really is. But it's only half the battle. I remember when I was in the throes of this thing, I read so many books trying to figure out what to do, how to arrange my life so that it would be what it should be, what I knew it should be, but I had no power. Mencius, the Chinese sage, said, knowledge imparts information, but no power. Knowledge imports information, but the Spirit of God imparts power. We need both. And this week, we are going to get both. We want to present to you in a way that will not only educate you, but inspire you and motivate you. So what are the keys for long-term success? This is what we're going to be expanding on this week. We're talking about creating an environment, your internal environment, your worldview, your mindset of how you think. That's tomorrow's topic. Then your external environment, which would be your surroundings. We're talking about creating a lifestyle this week. So God has really given us a peace plan. He says, in this world, you will have tribulation. There are trials to face in this world. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So God has given us a peace plan. He's given us a lifestyle that promotes peace. He has given us attitudes to practice. I call it attitudinal discipline that produce peace. They're called peptides. He's given us spiritual principles that create peace. That's called surrender. And he has given us faith that preserves peace when it all goes wrong. We need them all. And we need to create those connections with God and with others. Situational awareness. You know, we are in a, a war. We are in a battleground, not a playground. And you didn't need to see me say this in order to know that it's true. You're in a battleground in your life right now. You may be struggling inside with habits that you can't control that make you even on the verge of the most, some of the most desperate choices and and. Please stay with us for these programs. So you may have lost your job. You may have multiple problems. The Bible talks about a house that was built on the rock versus the sand. And in both houses, the rain descended, the floods came, the wind blew and beat upon that house. Multiple trials, circumstances, challenges, one of them fell the other stood fast. It's an analogy of the strength, power, and perseverance that God will build into your character, not only to free you from the guilt of sin, but from its grip. Because once Satan gets a foothold, he'll get a stronghold. But Jesus died to break the stronghold of sin in your life. So your environment is what surrounds you and how you think. Your culture is what pressures you. It may be your peer group. Uh, I mean, you may have some party friends that you need to say goodbye to. 
Your culture is what pressures you. It may be your social group. It might be your school, your work, your church, your ethnicity. Uh, There is a culture that pressures us. We have a biology that changes us. What begins as a curiosity soon becomes a condition involving multiple circuits. So we talked in the beginning of this program about the uh, circuits that take place that change in the brain once an addiction has occurred. It's very real. Uh, In fact, one addiction specialist calls the brain the hardware of the soul. And I think that that is absolutely accurate. You cannot separate the brain from the body or the body from behavior and mood and spirituality. Separating them is increasingly becoming seen as ridiculous. So these multiple circuits that change Um, involves serotonin, which has to do with obsessive grief and behavior, norepinephrine, which has to do with psychomotor retardation. You just can't move. You just sit in a chair and you can't move. This is a characteristic of clinical depression. Dopamine has to do with anhedonia or lack of ability to, to experience pleasure. Substance P is very interesting, pain. And it's very, very interesting that emotional circuitry is also involved in the pain response and that emotional pain and physical pain actually utilize the same areas of the brain. And our language for inner pain is the same as for outer pain. So what kind of phraseology do we use? You're a pain in the neck. You make me sick to my stomach. You've broken my heart. You've wounded me. These are somatic descriptions of an emotional reaction. But we can also say, you touched me. I'm warmed. And so uh, understanding how lifestyle and attitude affect even the expression of pain molecules is an incredible journey, and we will spend some time on that. Ruminating. Ruminating uh, is... your. Your brain is just whispering negatives to you. And we, we, sometimes we don't even need a devil to tempt us. We just whistle for him to come and get us because of the habits of ruminating that we have. We're going to discuss that tomorrow. Now, the good news is, is that even the cheapest computers have backup systems. But you and I are fearfully and wonderfully made. God knew all about you. Uh, he knows your background, he knows your situation, he knows your genetics, he knows the, the first environment you were in, which was the womb, and one out of every five children has considerable alcohol exposure in the womb that sets genetic switches. Now, this sounds pretty bad, and if this were all that we had to say in this program, I would say, well, we better just give it up and go to the pizza parlor. But the good news is, is that God has built within every human being backup systems for renewal, recovery, and restoration. So these brain-body systems, for instance, you hear a lot in addiction medicine about the dopamine D2 receptors, which become hijacked, and they're not as responsive, and you don't have as many receptors, and they don't work as well, and it, it keeps taking more and more and more of the substance or the activity to get even close to that to that high or to that relief in some cases. Uh, and so this is how tolerance is built in an addiction. But the good news is, is that you have more than dopamine D2 receptors. You have compensatory receptors in other parts of the brain, D3, D4, D5, uh, so that as we engage in healthy behaviors and as we discipline 
uh, according to uh, the principles that God has given us in his word, he begins to compensate and restore and repair. So it's not all misery until you're free. It's a joy in the journey every day. Your GI tract uh, creates or produces more serotonin than your brain. So as you take care of your physical health, these messengers of well-being will assist in mental health. Isn't that good news today? And we used to think that you were born with all the nerve cells you were ever going to have, and then all you could do through the rest of your life, after about age 30 or so, is start to lose them. I mean, that's enough to drive anybody to the donut shop, but fortunately, it's not true. You do make new nerve cells in the brain. Your nerve cell is the basic unit of communication, and the neurotransmitter is the basic chemical of communication. And, and it connects multi-directional systems with the, with the hormonal system, the endocrine, nervous, brain, uh, digestive, mobile cells of the immune system, respiratory tract, all connected in a super high way of communication that is built to get you free and move you free God has engineered you. His fingerprints are all over you. He has a plan for you for future and a hope. So your biology is what changes you. So now, instead of just having a, a, um, a craving, now you have a condition that needs to be treated at multiple metabolic levels. Your brain is what drives you, and spiritual is who heals you and who leads you. So what we say in obesity medicine is that the, the battle is not for the bulge, it's for the brain. That it's not about weight control, it's about appetite control, and that's a brain thing. But the good news is your brain generates new nerve cells, they are ready reckoners, they want to learn, they, uh, they migrate to certain areas of the brain which are amazing. And when I do research in this area, I'm always looking for God, I'm looking for What is your message through this? It's not just about information. So these new nerve cells actually migrate to an area of the brain, one of them is called the hippocampal area of the brain, which has to do with learning and memory. The other area is the amygdala, which has to do with emotional memory. And so what this tells me about God is that wherever you've come from, whatever's happened to you, whatever is done, whatever you've done, God has engineered you and I for increased wisdom and learning over time and healing from emotional trauma. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 61, verse 7, the Bible says, whatever you've experienced, the shame, whatever it is, I will repay you double. Workers' compensation. I think we should start collecting. The plan of redemption provides for every emergency and every want of the soul. He understands, he's read your history, he knows you, he knows your weaknesses, and he wants to heal those broken places in your walls of security so that you can be strong in Christ, grow, and be victorious. We're call- what is the name of this series, the overall series? Forward to the finish. But here's the question. Can you do this without God? Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? No one can. Here's the promise that I love so much. I will remove your stony, and you could put in parentheses, touchy heart, and replace it with a heart that's God-willed and not self-willed. I love that promise. That's resurrection power. The great physician has a remedy for every ill. He understands your case, people. Here's what I want to tell you. Hope 
is the heart of health. If you are on your deathbed right now and you have two days to live, hope is the heart of your health. Hope in your heartaches, hope in your hindrances, hope in your habits, and hope for heaven because that's where our citizenship is. We are immigrants here after all. He understands your case. Whatever may have been your errors, he knows how to deal with them. He knows the way, he goes the way, and he shows the way. Will you not trust yourself with him? I used to be so cynical and negative and frightened and anxious all the time, and, and I saw a sign on an, on an executive's desk that I really resonated with. It said, you're smiling because you don't understand the situation. And I thought, yeah, exactly. But now I know the one who does understand the situation. And I want to fight according to his strength, which works mightily in me, his weapons, which are not hate, bitterness, malice, violence, manipulation, using people, grudges. You know, if we carry the offspring of evil in our mouths, we're not going to be able to eat. We'll, those things will starve us. The Lord says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy is the man that trusts in him. Tomorrow we'll be talking about forgiveness as one of those things. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away and all things are becoming new. You are born new, but now you are going to be on a growth process. You have everything to learn. So do I. We don't want to drop out from this school. Amen. We're just going to continue to say yes. The Lord knew what he was getting involved in when he got involved with you. And if you have conviction right now, that's a good thing. Why would he, why would he bring conviction on your heart if there wasn't hope? That would be cruel. So be thankful if you're convicted right now. And you know, that butterfly has to turn to liquid. I mean, that, that caterpillar in the chrysalis, it turns to liquid. So there are some trials and some fiery things that we have to go through for the transforming power of Christ to be operational in our lives. But it's worth it. It's worth it. Jerry Scheel uh, is a Canadian who came to a Lifestyle Matters training that we were holding in Florida a number of years back. He drove in uh, to our meetings with a busload of Canadians, and he uh, had, in his own words, he had been addicted to everything. Well, he came to our Living Free program. By the way, this book is available on our website. You can visit us there. And he was working in, in uh, construction in Canada. He overcame his addictions. He went through the Living Free materials all by himself, and he went into full-time ministry. He started working with Roger, a retired Royal Air Force pilot who was absolutely down and out. If you are watching this instead of listening, you see his apartment littered with gin bottles. And um, he talked to Roger and he said, do you want to be free? Roger was addicted to alcohol and he had been for quite some time. Jerry had become free from his addictions, and they, he said, yes, I want to be free. And so Jerry started to teach Roger and go through the materials and teach him the uh, materials that are, that are involved in all these life-saving principles. 
Well, they got cleaned up. Roger actually was healed of his alcohol addiction. Here's a picture of him going of the uh, Living Free Materials. They're going through the program. There's my colleague Evelyn, the dietitian, giving lifestyle advice on the TV. There's creating an environment, a uh, beautiful, uh, his first attempt at creating an environment with some plasticware and some fruit in it. There's Roger, his house cleaned up, his life made right, and he has been free for years now. He passed away from a heart condition, but Roger died free, and he was free for many years. He joined the, uh, the Bible studies. He formed social relationships. The connections in his brain and life were healed. He got a job uh, after a year of freedom, and I just love his story because he had been so wasted, so ruined, and yet God restored him. You know, we don't want to be stuck in the muck. We want to move forward. The Bible says, He took me up out of a deep waste place, out of the soft and sticky earth. He put my feet on a rock and made my steps certain. Is that your decision today? We are given the promise. Put all your hope in God, not looking to your reason for support. In all your ways, give ear to him, and he will make straight your footsteps. Do you think that Roger or Jerry are sorry that they were free from their addictions? Do you think they are sorry that they embarked on a new life? Jerry is still running Living Free programs, and he was addicted to any, everything. You name the topic, he was addicted to it. But the Bible says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will guide you with my eye upon you. Will you invite Jesus Christ today? Will you take that step to trust him and find a new way? He is waiting for you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for this instruction. Guide us in your heavenly way, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.